The presenting sponsor of Sober Stories is Liars Non-Alcoholic Spirits. That's Liars is an L-Y-R-E, but it's also not to liars, like the dirty kind, because they have an affinity for wordplay that makes my copywriter heart sing. Liars was created by a couple Brits on a quest to replicate and replicate well as many different alcoholic spirits as possible, allowing us to drink our way. And y'all know me, my way is without a drop of ethanol. Their name actually gives a nod to the Australian lyrebird, which can mimic just about any sound. I've used liars in my mocktail making for truly years now. I think my first introduction was probably the orange sec, which took my N.A. margarita game from sad and depressing to good enough to make my normie partner say, uh, there's no way this isn't the real thing. <laughs> Except now, my margarita doesn't ruin my life and throw my mental health in the garbage. Grab the margarita set for two different kinds of tequila alternatives and that orange sec I was talking about. Classico is my new favorite, though. I packed a cooler of them last year for the lake and the river and the beach and the pool. <laughs> Their pre-mixed ready-to-drink canned beverages are a great solution for those moments when you want something refreshing and celebratory in your hand, but you don't want the consequences of booze. You'll probably want to go ahead and hit add to cart to the Classico case and get that free shipping. As you're building out your non-alcoholic bar cart this spring, head over to liars.com, use code SOBERSTORIES1010, that's S-O-B-E-R-S-T-O-R-I-E-S, the number one, the number zero, the letter T, the letter E, and the letter N for 10% off your purchase. We'll pop that in the show notes too. Liars gives you the freedom to drink your way, to not just provide an alternative to those who don't wish to imbibe alcohol, but to ensure that everyone can enjoy the mirth and the merriment of a soiree or shindig. God, their copywriter's good. Welcome to Sober Stories, a podcast dedicated to the power and change that can come from really, really great storytelling. We believe that stories are a massively transformational medium. When we can see ourselves in someone's story, when we share our own story, that's when the magic happens. Here, we tell stories of folks all across the sober spectrum with hope, honesty, inspiration, and probably a few sparkling water jokes. I'm your host, Beth Bowen, and it's a huge honor to be Chief Story Steward around here. With our guests, we pull back the curtain on the good, the bad, and sometimes the downright ugly of what it looks like to ditch the booze, changing the world one podcast episode at a time. Y'all ready? Hey, Sober Stories crew. Thanks for tuning into another episode of our show. Sober Stories is officially, as of this recording, a whole month old, and we just discovered that we've had listeners join us from over 23 countries, 23 different countries around the world. Our mission here has always been to connect people through really great storytelling, so know that we see you. We love you. I'm so, so glad you're here listening to these Sober Stories. Thank you. The conversation I've got on board today with Pyle Desai has been something I've chewed on ever since she and I spoke. I felt such a kinship to her and her story, and I suspect a lot of mamas out there will as well. Pyle is a public school teacher, a wife, and a mom of two boys. She is also a social media content creator working on building her brand. Though life is busy and full, she is much better at managing it since becoming sober a year and a half ago. Pyle and I dug into some really great topics like navigating motherhood before and after removing alcohol from our lives. After you give today's episode a listen, tag Pyle and let us know what your biggest takeaway was. Here we go. All right, Sober Stories crew, I am so excited to have Pyle here with me today. Thank you for joining us on Sober Stories, Pyle. Absolutely. I'm honored to be here. Well, give our listeners kind of the cliff notes. Give them the high notes of who you are, where you are, what you do, who you do life with, all of the relevant information to get to know you. Absolutely. So um, I'm a middle school teacher. Mm -hmm. I teach sixth grade. Um, been doing mm. this for 14 years. Um, I am a mother of two. I've got two little boys at home, six and two years old. Mm -hmm. And... Um, and I'm a content creator. And so my life is <laughs> extremely busy and I like it that way. Um, but that's kind of the gist of who I am. 
Mm, I was looking through your social media and I was thinking your kids were about the same age as mine. I've got three and six. So I'm like in it in the same phase and it's a lot. Well, tell us more about the story of you and alcohol. What is kind of the path that led you to where you are now? So I uh, first met alcohol um, when I started college. And I I always think about like what brought me to uh, really indulging as much Mm -hmm. as I did early on, like almost right away. It wasn't a slow start. It was just like I started drinking and I was drinking hard and I was binging. Mm -hmm. Um, And I really look back and I think about how in high school, I I guess I was kind of like sheltered um, in that I didn't really do like the high school parties. I, I, I wasn't really allowed to, to be honest. Yeah. And so, and I was a role follower for sure. Mm-hmm. So um, when I got to college, it was this rush of freedom. And because I never dated in high school, I found that I needed like some help with confidence. And mm. right as I started to drink, I realized that like, that's, that was it. Like, that's how I got my confidence. And so all of a sudden I could almost like be somebody who I wasn't and that felt good. And so that just, was, that was the start of it. I was 18. And, um, when I look back at college, like there were some very dangerous situations mm. that I put myself in. And I think a lot of people like can agree with that and, and think about how um, you're, you're sort of reckless at oh, that totally. age. And so that was, that's the way that it was, but there was always somebody to take care of me. Like mm. always somebody who had my back. I either was surrounded by friends or a boyfriend or somebody who would just, you know, the next day be like, you were fine. Everybody was crazy. And so those were the college years and then college ended. Um, and so I guess in my mind, I, I thought that, okay, now I'm going to grow up, right? Like I'm going to get my first teaching job. And through college, I was always successful too. Like, you know, I would party a lot. Like I'm talking Wednesday to Sunday, Mm -hmm. There were lots of blackouts. That was something that I guess I just took as normal. Yeah. You know, that, oh, you forget your night. Right. Who doesn't? Mark of a good night. Yeah. And like, it it just seems so normalized. Uh, It really was. It, It really was normalized to behave that way. And so when college ended and I started my teaching career, um, I kind of figured this is when you grow up and like you don't act like that anymore. However, um, you know, I was still going out on the weekends and hanging out with friends and I found that my alcohol habits continued. So now it was like teacher happy hours, but I was always the one over drinking. And again, somehow there, you know, when it's not somebody else's problem. Like they're not going to shed. You can't rely on someone else to be like, you're overdoing it. And so there was never, never anybody in my life to regulate that. And, um, even if they did, I probably wouldn't have really listened to them, Mm -hmm. but still because of this, it didn't feel problematic. And so I continued on. And then, you, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about like milestones and like marks of my life in which like, you grow up or you grow out of things. So then I ended up meeting my husband. So we dated for a little while, but our relationship was also on the context of alcohol. We met at a bar. Um, Our 
uh, relationship was long distance for some time. So our visits back and forth were always celebratory. And so lots of like bottomless mimosa brunches and going out and like, you know, you kind of envision or as did I like envision, um, having a partner and like you drink wine together. And so we just, you, you just jump into that lifestyle and he's a drinker. And so we didn't really regulate each other. And, uh, again, there was always somebody to be like, you are fine. Don't overthink it. You're okay. Everyone's doing it. Everyone's doing it. And there, I just never really found that I gave myself those like red flags. And so anyway, we ended up getting married and our early years of marriage were met with friends who also liked to party and go out continued. Then I had my first son. Um, He's six now. So this is back in 2016. He was born through the pregnancy. Of course, I didn't drink, um, but I missed it. Like I I was always like, I can't wait to drink. And so it was just always been so glorified. Well, the interesting thing is that like when I became a mom, again, a point where I thought I would like regulate myself. Then I was met with like mommy wine culture and <laughs> it was almost something uh, it, it was almost something that I didn't expect. But now like there were moms wanting to meet up for playdates and it was all circulating around wine. In our group of friends, uh, my husband and I were the first ones to have a kid and we really sort of like honored ourselves for being like the ones that could balance being parents and it, mm-hmm. but then also like having a good time. Mm-hmm. We would kind of grab our kiddo along Carter, our first son like and and he would join us everywhere. Um we would take him out um maybe not to like bars at night but like we would definitely go to restaurants and we'd yeah. be like pouring wine and drinking and so he we were at parties with our friends and he was always around and it was something that we like patted ourselves on the back like we don't have to stop having fun just because we're parents mm. and i think about some reckless decisions around that as well and that's that's heavy on me because yeah. Those are things that I know um, I can't take back. And I'm just very grateful that for how it maybe could have ended up, it didn't. And so that it's just like I let my mind kind of trail down paths of um, times where my husband and I overdrank and Mm. we needed to get our family home. And like you make just really reckless decisions that could have ended up differently. Yeah. So that's a lot to sit with. And I think that's, those are, so when I became a mom and into like my, uh, when I had my second son, especially is when that it just became too much of like a heavy burden on mm-hmm. me. Um, so that's when I, I really like hit a turning point. So my second son was born in March of 2020. And this is like, at oh. the yeah, it's at the, he was a pandemic, like at the brink of the pandemic. Onset. And so, yeah, absolutely. Um, and that was, but it, it was like the hardest chapter of my life. Absolutely. Mm-hmm beyond doubt. So as a teacher, you know, the pandemic has been very, very difficult the last two years. And so right at the onset of it, when we had to shift immediately, given like absolutely zero notice, we shifted immediately to 
online teaching. And so huge learning curve there. And then I have my second son and this leads to like a summer that none of us predicted. And the heaviness of that, many, many people felt it. And I know a lot of people leaned heavily on alcohol. And Mm -hmm. so we did too. I mean, even though we had a newborn at home, like uh, in evenings, like we would be indulging. And I just found myself leaning on alcohol, not so much anymore for like fun and entertainment, but now it was like my survival. Mm. And I'd never seen it that way. I never, you know, because I knew how much importance I placed on alcohol. And I can see that very clearly now. But I was always one of those people who just like, I have fun with it. It's not like I have emotional issues that I need to solve through alcohol. But when my second son was born and we were in this isolation, Hmm. I realized it's always been a lot more emotional than I perceived. Hmm. And so this is when I was leaning on it. And my husband and I were like kind of at odds because well, you know, we're in isolation and Mm. we have our two kids at home and we were just like, it was a very stressful time. Um, So we were not jiving the way that we Mm. always have. And so then like alcohol was an escape. Mm. So each night I would be just be like, okay, let's grab for the wine so that like I can make myself feel better about life at this time. And those are, that's like, as well, when I was feeding my son, my uh, the newborn, like I was trying to, you know, get in a groove with breastfeeding and I would end up like tossing milk. Mm-hmm. And I just I can't believe I did that because it's so valuable. Oh, my God. But it's excruciating to think about. It is. And I can't believe that that's something that I did. But it like you can also kind of see very clearly where I was placing priority. Mm. That's the truth of it. I was prioritizing my mental release um, and drinking over feeding him. And yes, did we have formula? Yeah, we did. But it's like a very a deliberate decision that was mm. being made. Um, and so that that's kind of tough to reflect on. Mm. And so I could feel my emotions just... rising. I could feel like the postpartum stress. We were, this is like midsummer now. And I'm thinking about heading into this school year where like nothing is decided. We have no clue Mm. how we're entering the 2020, 2021 school year. I'm Mm. coming off of like a shorter maternity leave than I thought. Um, So lots of things bubbling up in me. And I was feeling super overwhelmed and I was feeling very, very low. And to the point where my, I have two sisters and and they were like, you know, I think that it's probably time that you talk to somebody just to like sort out some of the things that are going on with you. And so I decided to make an appointment with the therapist. And so after making that appointment, it was a virtual. So we got on the phone and I was just kind of sharing and unloading on things that I felt were going on with me. And somehow I came to the fact that like, well, my husband and I are always arguing. And like the only thing we have in common Mm -hmm. is that we drink together. 
Yeah. And she was like, wait a minute, why, why do you say that? Like, let's unpack that. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> let's unpack therapist. that. Yeah. yeah. I was like, all right, let's go ahead and unpack that. So here we are unpacking it. And she's like, tell me how much you drink. And I'm like, mm. for the first time, I was just really honest about it because I think that I was always covering up how much, you know, mm. I'd always be like, oh, I just, I, I was always lying and manipulating my way out of these types of conversations. But she is a therapist that I didn't even know. I don't even know Hmm. what she looks like because we're on the phone. Hmm. And so I was like, "Um, okay, well, I mean, we drink like, I don't know, like we drink every night, probably like at least like, or at least like several times a week. She's like, okay, well, how much are you drinking? And so I'm like, uh, I don't know how much, but like we just drink because like that's something that we enjoy doing together. And she's like, I'm going to be honest with you. That doesn't sound too safe for like Mm. having two little kids at home. Mm. And I'll, I'm going to tell you like that line right there. I'll never forget Mm. what it felt like when she said that, that she held me accountable to mm. something that was going on for a really long time. Yeah. And um, she's the first person. And I, maybe, it, maybe it took a stranger to hold me mm. accountable, you know, um, because all of a sudden I felt very put on spot, but like I, there was no defending it, you know? It's and like a gut punch. It was a gut punch. It was absolutely a hundred percent a gut punch. And so honestly, the next day, I was like, I'm taking a vow. I'm not going to drink. And at that time, I was like, I can't. Like, she just, she literally just told me that my children aren't safe. Mm. And the thought, because she's right, they weren't safe when I was drinking at home. Mm. And so the thought of something happening to my kids and the thought of me, like, I can avoid that. So, like, if I can avoid that as their mother, I need to. Mm. And that was it. That is Mm. all that needed to be said. And I, it was August 24th was the next day. And I have not had alcohol since that day. It was August 24th, 2020. And for me, I know that that's not the case for everybody. You know, not everybody says like, okay, on this day, I stopped Mm. drinking. Like some people have to like wean off and everybody's story is different. Mm. But when I still think about those words, they, it's still, it's still a gut punch. Mm. Like, and, and I revisit that kind of often because I don't want to forget what that felt like. I don't want to forget what that gut punch was like. And I know that alcohol is just, it's not an option for me. I, I've had many people in my life, like, you know, with good intention, tell me like, well, you can probably drink down the line. Mm. No, no, no. Like not for me. Yeah. Because I know my relationship with alcohol. This wasn't the first time that I had attempted to quit. I mm. think it was the, it, this, this particular journey in quitting was, uh, it was a lot different because I was very clear um, with myself about some of the, like the dangers around it and like what I was doing to my life. But previously, I had tried several times. I'm not going to drink for a month. I'm not yeah. going to drink for three months. But it was, you know, it was always kind of superficial. It was, mm. I want to lose weight. I want to, um, I want to get fit for a vacation. 
So I'll drink on the vacation, but leading up to it, I won't. So these were all like very superficial, in my opinion, like ways of trying to quit. And there was never anything deeper. This time around, I like hit on some of the emotions behind it. Mm. And there are reasons for why I was drinking the way that I was drinking. It Mm. wasn't just for fun. It was an escape and it was escaping something in my life. And then I, you know, through my sober journey is like every week that kind of went by, I was learning more, reading more. I was just I immersed myself in like sober, curious literature, Mm -hmm. podcasts. Like I think that was the change this time around because I wanted to educate myself. And then through that, I connected with Mm -hmm. people. And that was a big thing for me too. So I kind of immersed myself in this world and connected with people. And I realized that I, for A, I'm not alone. B, uh, I really did have a problem. I do. Mm-hmm. And so that's not something for me to play around with. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like over time, I just saw so many benefits and I continue to. Mm-hmm. And so that's undeniable for me because every day that goes by, I feel this like immense gratitude for the life that I'm now living. Mm -hmm. And um, life is still full of stress. It's still full of problems. There are still difficult moments and days and weeks, but I'm better at dealing with it. I have tools. I'm learning. I'm figuring myself out. And alcohol is not playing a role to muddy the waters for Mm -hmm. me. Like there's Mm -hmm. just nothing clouding my judgment. And uh, I'm just proud of who I am and I can describe who I am. You know, I was, I I look back, I wasn't able to do that. Alcohol Mm -hmm. defined me and what I enjoyed. And I I would have trouble kind of thinking about things that I liked to do outside of alcohol. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If somebody asked me like, what do you like to do? I like to like hang out with friends and like get drunk at brunch. Drink. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. And now if you ask me what I like to do, I like to create content. Um, I love my job and I'm better at it. I'm more present at my job. I'm more present with my family. I like Mm -hmm. to read. I like to learn about things and listen to various podcasts. Like there, I, there's, uh, there's different layers to Mm me. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, I, I have a whole sticky note full of notes and I, I suspected I would resonate with your story from what I know about you and your experience. But I could have said the same thing word for word. I mean, not only are kids the same age, but really this idea of of early motherhood is is what hits for me too. And the physical stress and the emotional burden on moms. And and I'll, I'll back up. I always say that anyone who got sober in the pandemic or had a baby in the pandemic is like a freaking superhero. And so the fact that you did both of those, <laughs> you're like my idol queen of the universe now because those are two of the most difficult things to do in this experience that we have all gone through. And so much of of your story of early motherhood and of the the what ifs, I still I still have this feeling in my chest of like, thank God nothing happened at like nine p.m. or like mm-hmm. you know because I wouldn't have I wouldn't have been able to drive my kid to the emergency room or nope. if something had happened because of my negligence, like thank God, and I can still feel that in my chest 
four years later. But I I really resonate with so much of what you said about this idea of like balancing parenting and drinking and like being one of the first people in your group of friends to have kids and and say like, oh, but it's it's cool, still invite us to brunch because we'll be there and, and we're we're mm-hmm. down to keep up with everybody. And one of the things that I think that so many young parents aren't expecting when they go into parenthood is, you know, they tell you it's going to be hard. They tell you it's going to be really hard, but you just really have no idea how just like really, really hard it is. Mm-hmm. And we have this perfect storm of mothers physically recovering their physical bodies while they're sleep deprived, while their hormones have changed, while we are in still in the after, well, like the middle of a pandemic where we're still very isolated in a lot of ways, plus all of the expectations around moms and work and leave and all of these different things go into what is really a perfect storm of somebody being very vulnerable to using something like alcohol as a coping mechanism. Mm-hmm. And and I can look at past me and look at her with empathy and say, like, of course you used alcohol as a coping mechanism to get through the early days. Of course you did. It's easily accessible. It's easier to get than, you know, Lexapro, which I love now. Yeah. I'm like team Lexapro. And I, I think that there are so many young moms or moms-to-be who are going to be hearing this story. And if nothing else, just have an idea of like, all right, here's what I'm going to pay attention to. Not out of fear, not out of, you know, what ifs, but but really until somebody sees somebody like you go through this experience, this very human experience, it's like not even a possibility in their brain. So it's like not even an option for their brains to understand. And then to hear this story, which is just a very human story, I think is going to really resonate with people. And, and one of the things that I thought was really interesting, I wrote down honesty and therapy. And I laugh because I think every single one of us have have lied on a doctor's form to a therapist, to a doctor Mm -hmm. about how much we drink, but we can't really lie to ourselves. We can't really Mm -hmm. ignore the fact that we are drinking above CDC recommendations or whatever. You said that you, from kind of the beginning, have always overdrank or drink differently. Did you ever notice any red flags for yourself when you were younger or was it just so normalized in your life? I definitely noticed red flags um, because I would be the one that would black out and then I would lie to the people around me and be like, yeah, I remember coming home. Mm -hmm. And so I would kind of try to like push through those moments and then like leave them in the past and like not want to go back to it. But in my mind, like that was still there. And I still right. realized even through marriage and after having my first son, like my husband would be like, do you remember? No, yep. I don't remember. Yeah. <laughs> but I'd be like, yeah, I remember. Mm. And then I just like kind of sit with this deep guilt. And mm-hmm. to be like, you know, if, if I'm real with myself, that affects your the way that you look at yourself, it yeah. that affects your insecurities. Mm-hmm. Uh, it affected the way that I viewed like myself authentically. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't realize over the course of my drinking life how much damage I was doing to my self-image of like how I perceive who I am. And now that's become very important to me. I mm-hmm. want to live a life that I'm proud of. I want to wake up every morning and my opinion of who I am is the most important. Hmm. And it took me a long time to realize that. And now I wake up 
really, really proud. Mm-hmm. And I want to continue to make myself proud and nothing's standing in the way of that. Mm-hmm. Alcohol was always standing for me. Alcohol was always standing in the way of that. It affected how I viewed myself as a mother too, like how capable I was mm-hmm. as a mother. And my husband's like very hands-on and helpful, which is amazing. But sometimes I'm like, I want to be doing more as a mom. And so when I was drinking, you know, I would become like, cause he was like the caretaker. So he mm. was caretaking for the, the kids, but then also me. Yeah. And so now I felt less of a mom mm. and that impacted my insecurity so mm-hmm. much. Um, so I don't know that it's been this like huge revelation for me. Um, it's been a growing process and definitely I've seen such a, just a huge like spike in my confidence. Well, isn't that so interesting? Cause at the very beginning you said in college, you started to drink for confidence mm-hmm. and yep. then it yielded insecurity and then not drinking has mm-hmm. given you confidence. Yeah. Like what a cycle. Yeah. What a cycle. And it's so <laughs> interesting that we go into this with this idea that alcohol is giving us confidence. Of mm-hmm. course, it's loosening our inhibitions, but it's not what it does long term is it really starts to impact our self-worth and the way exactly mm-hmm. what you said, like the way you view yourself and your ability to keep promises to yourself and this experience of it's so interesting that you talk about like lying about remembering the night before. One of my girlfriends and I used to call it the fear, the fear of like, what did I say? What did I do? But just mm-hmm. like pretending like everything's cool and waiting for somebody to be mad at you. And if they yes. didn't act mad at you, then you were mm-hmm. cool. And like we joked about this crippling anxiety that we would get the next yeah. morning after blacking out. And, you know, it's blackouts are really interesting. I, I have looked into the science more to understand why some people are more prone than others, but I was very prone to blackouts. So I would like pick fights with my partner and I would like just most of my drinking was done on the couch. So it was just like stupid shit at home. But mm-hmm. I would never know the next morning. It's like, what fight did I pick? What did I say? Yeah. How did I do something to damage this relationship? And just wait, just wait and see if anything came yeah. up. You know, one of the things you talked about is that you and your husband met Edamar and drinking mm-hmm. was always part of the relationship. Does he drink now? Mm-hmm. He does. Um, he is still a drinker. He, so that is actually something that I think is challenging for somebody who yeah. – gives up alcohol. It's something that you don't think about because our relationship was very much like, I don't want to say it was based on alcohol, but it was such a big part of who Mm. we were together. When I made the decision to completely 100% on August 24th, 2020, give it up, Mm. it kind of, it shook up his world. Yeah. And so we, our relationship has gone through some, um, like, chapters since then because it's a while ago it's been like a year and a half and he always like verbally has been like very supportive I got your back like this is such a great decision you're you've made such an amazing decision for our kids but I know that it's been hard for him Mm. and I push him to be honest with himself like I'm like be honest with yourself like this is hard and it's not that you resent me but We have to talk about what this has done to our relationship because it changes what we want to do for fun. Yes. And because he doesn't over drink regularly, 
you know, like he's kind of like, okay, but I want to like go out and have a couple drinks and I can Mm -hmm. handle it. But now that's not something that you really want to do. Yeah. Um, And he's one of those two as a drinker where regularly like he can go just having like a couple of drinks and manage it and be totally Mm -hmm. safe and fine. But then there are moments in which he indulges and like it might be a party or with friends socially like goes overboard. Those moments are very hard for me. Hmm. And they and they continue to be. Uh, and I've been like honest with him yeah. about this too. And I'm like, that's fine that you want to do that. But when I watch that and I'm observing it and hmm. now like I've, I've become very well informed of the yeah. science behind what you, you're doing to yourself, right? Like, totally. so I'm like, why would somebody want to <laughs> indulge and then wake up the next morning and feel miserable? Mm. And why would you want to do that to your body? And you're so amazing without alcohol. Why would you mm. even want it to impact? So because you go through this transformation of your entire thought process is altered, It it's the way that you view almost everything in Mm -hmm. life. And so, you know, and we're still like waiting through that. To be honest, like we're still figuring that out. And it's a lot of communication. It's a lot of, and, you know, I don't brush things under the rug. We talk about stuff and I have to also honor him and like his decision Mm -hmm. because his decision to drink, that's not done intentionally to harm me and I have to take myself out of the equation. And yeah, I I don't really have the answer to it, but I can say that if you do make a decision like this, it can really impact the relationships Mm -hmm. around you and you kind of need to be prepared for that. Well, and and like you said, I think it it speaks to like you can't make that decision for him because that's his agency to be able to make mm-hmm. those informed decisions. Although I can't say I don't get a little bit of satisfaction when my partner wakes up like really hungover because <laughs> I'm like, you did this to yourself because mm-hmm. he also does not regularly overdrink and he is, I guess, what we would call a normie where it, it's only yeah. very occasionally. You know, I really like what you said about chapters though, and I think that that's a really important piece to pull from this because we go through a lot of different chapters in a relationship, even without the alcohol thing. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I try to tell the people I work with and the people that I coach is like, all right, let's zoom out and think about the longevity of this relationship and all of the different stages it has gone through. In many ways, especially when it's a long-term relationship, we have grown and evolved and changed in a lot of different ways. And this is a big one, but there are other examples like parenthood's a really big one or a job change or a move or somebody like loses a parent and becomes the, the, you know, adult in the family or whatever. We go through a lot of different life changes and, and I like thinking of them as chapters, like you said, because Every relationship is going to evolve. Every relationship is going to grow. And when we can get a little perspective on it and understand this is one more chapter, this is a new chapter, Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be the one that tells the whole story. It doesn't have to be the title of the book. This can be a chapter that we can work through. The other thing that I teach with my work is 
is about renegotiating the contract. So if we think about every relationship that we are in has has an unspoken contract. Well, I mean, I guess if you're married, there's legally a contract there too. <laughs> but we have these unspoken social contracts between one person and ourselves. And we have negotiated the terms of this contract at the beginning of the relationship. When we entered into this agreement, we understood how each other was going to show up. We understood what our relationship was to each other. And this can even be friendships too. And we had a set of rules and set of terms. And when we have removed alcohol from the situation, we have changed the terms of the contract. So when we change Mm -hmm. the terms of the contract, of course, it's going to impact the relationship. Of course, it's going to make everything feel new or unstable or different or even sometimes like upsetting to the other person. Mm -hmm. But that doesn't mean we can't renegotiate the contract. That doesn't mean we can't tweak it. We can't amend it to be something that works for both parties. And I like that you're frank about the fact that it's ever evolving and that it's not fixed yet and that it's not settled yet. Because I think sometimes when we step into this experience of removing our or changing our relationship with alcohol, removing alcohol. We come into a road bump like this when mm-hmm. we have friction in a relationship, especially a partner or a spouse that like we really objectively, especially if we have kids, like we need to be on the same team. We cannot, yeah. we cannot mm-hmm. screw this up because we are outnumbered. <laughs> like we need to yes. be on the same team. And it can be really easy to say, oh, screw it. Like this isn't worth mm-hmm. it. I'm going to go back to drinking. But when you think about it more in this like broad term of chapters, which I like, I'm like, I wrote this down and it's it's going to be a sticky note on my computer now. I think that that's a really beautiful way to step out and think, all right, this is just a chapter and mm-hmm. we can figure this out moving forward. You know, just the other day, like two days ago, I was going through my Dropbox where I just have like my whole collection of pictures from years. And so I was like looking for a specific one um, from June 2020. Mm. This is when I was like at home with the two kiddos, like Carter, my older son was not supposed to be home during my maternity leave and he sure was. It was just super overwhelming. And I have a picture of my uh, little one, Dev. He must be like, oh gosh, he's like under two months at this point. And so he's sitting, he's like on the boppy with his like Mm -hmm. pacifier and I have a glass of wine Mm. and it's it's white wine. And I have like the way that I took the picture was that you could see the baby behind Mm. like the glass of wine. And like, I used to think that was like cute. I used to think it was, and I'd done it before, like with, with the kids. Um, Mm -hmm. Well, this picture shows up on my Dropbox Mm -hmm. and we talk about gut punches, talk about a gut punch. And I was just like reminded of once again, how much I glorified mm-hmm. alcohol. That picture right there to me was like, this is how you survive motherhood, mm-hmm. you know? And so I posted it on my social media and I just said something regarding like, I had to be her then to be me now. Totally. I can't resent her. I can't resent this person who I was. And I got some responses because I've got like, you know, as your following grows, like not everybody knows the full story of what's gone on with you because I share extensively and openly. But again, if you're a new follower, you may not know that about me. And so I had a few people who were like, uh, what are you talking about here? Like, what's so, what, what was, what's wrong with this? And they, they were like, what's going on? Like, what? And so I was like, okay, well, let me like, you know, share with you some of my journey. I've got it. Like I've got some articles and things that I've written and, um, 
another podcast that I was on. So I have that on my blog, a page on my blog. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of shared that and I was like, you could read more, but then I clarified later and I was like, you know, if I see a mom post a picture like this, I want you to know I'm not judging you. Yeah. Yeah. But this is very reflective for me Mm. because I know the relationship that I had with alcohol was problematic and I know the depth of it. Mm -hmm. I'm not at all trying to say that every single person in this world around me should give up alcohol. And now I do think, (laughs) um, I do think that anyone who has a dependency on it, Mm -hmm. your life will absolutely improve and you're going to feel amazing physically and mentally and there's going to be clarity and you're going to be in better shape and be healthier. Yes, yes, I do think all of that. Mm -hmm. But that being said, like if somebody posts drinking wine with their children around, like I'm not judging that. Yeah, I judge me in that picture. Mm. Like I look at that picture and it's a reflection of me and I'm going to share openly because it could reach somebody. Um, But that's something on my social media that I like try very hard to clarify. Yeah. Well, you know, I think that what I take from it is that it's like stepping out of the matrix and I'm certain I said this before on this podcast and my husband just had me watch that trilogy is not very good. But (laughs) this this metaphor of like once you get on the other side of it and you can see what is actually happening with moms and this idea of mommy wine culture and the sense of camaraderie that we get from it and this sense of like this is – like you said, this is how we survive. This This is how we do this. We're all in this together. Like ching ching. Am I right, moms? Like Mm -hmm. this idea of mommy wine culture – is like really gross and really disgusting, but you can't see it at all when you're in it. Like, and and mm-hmm. my son, my older son, Will, was two when I quit drinking, and so for me, I was deeply in it, and and I have an immense amount of empathy, and and it's one of those things like I didn't know what I didn't know, yeah. And so when we share this story, and when we tell our stories, or where we we share like a throwback Thursday from a post like that, I think that. That what it does is open a door for somebody. It gives them the ability to look at it from a different way, look at yeah. it from a different perspective. And I even have people in my life who aren't parents who are like, the way you talk about mommy wine culture has made me look at it differently and now I see it everywhere. And now I realize how crazy this is and how gross this is and how – you know, I could I could talk forever about how I really think that it like moms are a very vulnerable population and mm. that they have been taken yes. advantage of by certain Absolutely. powers that be, um, which is not always the most popular opinion to have, especially for a, a widely listened to podcast. But <laughs> I think that what the takeaway is is that we didn't know what we didn't know, and it's a really easy time to become physically vulnerable to something like alcohol. Yeah, And then pair it with feeling like we're part of something bigger and like posting something on Facebook and then getting 30 likes from it from all Mm -hmm. of the other moms who think that that's a great angle that you took that photo from. You just have so much empathy and so much like love for the version of you that did that and then the version of me who did the same thing and the version of every single mom listening to this and and who's going to say, oh, yeah, I did that yesterday or oh, yeah, I did that three years ago. Like – I, I think that that's a more universal story than we realize 
So I appreciate mm-hmm. you sharing that story. And really, I appreciate a lot of the stories about motherhood and the the risks and all of the the breast milk story. Like talk about a gut punch that gets me too. But yeah. I I know we feel so alone when this happens and we feel like the worst mom on the planet and like why mm-hmm. can't we prioritize this in the right way and why is this something that is – difficult to control and why can't we just make these better decisions? And it makes a lot of sense. It's it's an addictive substance and that's what it does for us. So the last yeah. question I ask before I wrap up every podcast is if your story were to be written as a book, what would its title be? Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's something with like – transitioning or like transforming because that's what it feels like. Mm. Um, I think, you know, whenever I think about sobriety, um, I associate it with like finding my freedom Mm. and it was, it's freedom from so many aspects of my life. Um, in the simplest way, like when I go somewhere, I, I feel the freedom of being able to drive myself home safely. Okay. That's freedom. When I take my kids out, I feel the freedom of being attentive and calm with Mm. them. I feel the freedom of waking up. And if I am feeling low, being able to pinpoint why, like Mm. why it's not a hangover. So it's like, why am, why is my energy low? Okay. Now let's work to fix it. Yeah. And I can, Mm. so I'm not trapped. And so I think that quite simply it would be finding my freedom because that's, that's what I found. Like Mm. I, I, I feel free. I feel light. Mm. Like I, I feel capable. I don't feel burdened. I was so burdened with alcohol and it, it took a lot from me, but I don't resent it. Mm. And I don't resent the past version of me because what it's brought is like this sense of gratitude for who I am now that I don't think I ever would have been able Mm. to have. And so Mm. that's, and it's, it's just shaped my life. Like this decision and this transformation as hard as it's been and it continues to be and how it challenges relationships around me. Um, and it, I challenge myself every day like this. I feel grateful to even Mm. be going through it. So Mm. I feel like you don't even feel that burden until it's gone. And then it's like yeah. this this weight has been lifted. I love that. Fading yeah. my freedom. All right, Pyle. Well, thank you so much for your story and for your time and just your candor and your honesty. I I know that there are so many women, so many moms who need to hear this story today. I know our people are going to want to connect with you. How can they find you? What do you have going on in your world? So easiest way is on social media, Instagram. Um, my handle is Pyle for Style. And so follow me along there because I, I do share very openly and uh, it's been, it's been a blessing to be able to connect with women and, um, you know, who are going through the same thing. And yes, my story may impact them, but like them connecting with me further impacts me and it gives me strength. Mm-hmm. So, so mutually beneficial. Mm, we're better when we do this together. Yes. Mm. All right, my friend. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Y'all go check out Pyle's Instagram. I like the the rhyming as well. That yeah. works for me beautifully. So I appreciate that. But thank you for your time today. And I hope you have a beautiful afternoon. Thank you. 
Thank you so much for listening to Sober Stories with me, Beth Bowen, and our guest, Pyle Desai. She and I stayed on the line for a lot longer after our conversation, just talking about our shared experiences and motherhood and sobriety. This is what it's all about, hearing someone else's story and being able to see yourself in their experience. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to us if you took a second to rate and review Sober Stories wherever you get your podcasts. This helps us tell more stories, reach more people, change more lives, one good review at a time. And if you had a big aha moment from today's show, we'd love it if you shared it with us on social media. You can find us at We Are Sober Stories on most platforms. Tag us so we can hear your big takeaways and you never know when we'll send a little thank you. I also want to thank our team here at Sober Stories, Alexis Archuleta on the mixing and podcast genius side, Callie Williams is our community engagement lead, Daniela Marty for our graphic design, and every single person who has a hand in what we are building. Until next week, my friends.